Nobody would buy a soda if there were a starving child standing next to the vending machine. Coming up on Philosophy Talk, everybody agrees that it's possible to be too selfish. Is it possible to be too concerned with other people? To say we ought to devote ourselves to caring for strangers far more than we do conflicts with something very, very deep. Is there such a thing as too much altruism? It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Oh, we can be heroes just for one day. What would you give up to help a random stranger? I think we can do a lot more than we think we can. Our guest is Larissa McFarquhar, author of Strangers Drowning. Grappling with impossible idealism, drastic choices, and the overpowering urge to help. Extreme altruism. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. In this season of giving, we want you to know that we're grateful to you, our listeners. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And now, on with the show. Oh, holding hands at midnight Beneath the Sahari sky It's just nice work if you can get it And you can get it if you try This is Philosophy Talk The program that questions everything Except your intelligence I'm John Perry And I'm Ken Taylor we're coming to you from the Mars Theater in Berkeley, California. Our thinking originates across the bay on the Stanford University campus. That's where Ken here teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 years. Although now I've seen the light, and I'm teaching in Berkeley. You, you turncoat, you, you turncoat. We still kick your butt, though. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. You can get Today, we're thinking about extreme altruism. Altruists, or altruists, are people willing to do good things for others at a cost of their own happiness and well-being. Now, you know, John, some people think that humans are by nature completely self-interested. And, you know, of course, self-interest is the very opposite of altruism. But in fact, most of us have at least a touch of altruism in us. Think of the parent who sacrifices her own well-being for the sake of her child. Some soldiers give up the comforts of home and hearth to fight in some distant desert. Some of them are surely driven by altruism, not by naked self-interest or their own happiness. Indeed, you know, John, some evolutionary psychologists and biologists even argue that a tendency toward altruism, especially what's called in-group altruism, that's altruism toward kith and kin, is built into human beings from the very beginning by natural selection. And it's, it's not just the built-in results of biology and psychology that, that cause to some degree of altruism. Morality and religion clearly do so as well. You know, clearly, altruism is a good thing. Well, not necessarily for the individuals who practice it, but at least for the groups to which those individuals belong. But here's the question. Is it possible to take altruism too far? That's our question for today. Well, I think it is. Think of someone who adopts as many needy children as they possibly can, and then is filled with regret that they can't do more. Yeah, I don't know, John. I mean, people like that seem to me kind of saintly. And we admire saints, don't we? Well, maybe, but I wouldn't want to live with oh, one. Oh, come on. 
saints inspire us. They help us to honor the better angels of our nature. Why wouldn't you want to live with a saint? Well, can't imagine what it would be like to be the child of a couple who felt an insatiable, saintly need to go on and save more children, every distressed children, everyone they can possibly find. Well, well, at some point you might be tempted to say, hey, mom and dad, can I have your attention for just a minute? Can we stop and be a normal family now so that we can have more things and do more things? Oh, yeah, but you, you, but where do you draw the line if you start thinking like that? What line? The line between self-indulgence and duty. Look, I'm going to grant you, it's not okay to let your own children just starve so that you can feed other hungry children around the world. That's not okay. Well, I'm glad you'll admit that. Yeah. <laughs> but, but isn't it just as wrong? I mean, really, just as well, maybe more wrong to overindulge your own children while entirely ignoring the needs of less fortunate strangers? Well, what do you mean by overindulgence? Well, come on, I'll give you an example. How can I justify buying my kids the latest hot toy, which they don't really need, when I could use that same money to buy food and clothes for dozens, I mean, dozens of needy children in some rural third world village? Don't I have an obligation? Well, I hate to get personal, Ken, but think of all the money you spent on helping your wonderful son become a better baseball player. <laughs> that was expensive. All the good times you and he had together traveling to games, to tournaments, to showcases. Should you have given all that up so that you could have helped lots of children around the world? Cheapers, oh, John. I wouldn't trade those experiences with my son for the world. I wouldn't trade them for anything. And so what does that make you? A selfish schmuck? <laughs> or, or just a father who loves and cherishes his own son? Jeez, oh, John. I, I guess I really do. I admire these extreme altruists. I really do. I, I, don't, I don't think I have what it takes to be one myself. Well, me neither. But there are people who do have what it takes. And to get a feel for what they're like, we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Shuka Kalantari, to find people who live in extreme devotion to the well-being of strangers. She files this report. Sue Badeau is a social worker from Philadelphia. Sue has 22 children, 37 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. 20 of Sue's kids are adopted, something she's always wanted to do. I was about 11 or 12, and I read a book called The Family Nobody Wanted. This was about a family who had adopted children who were not babies, who were older children, who were from many different racial and ethnic backgrounds, who had disabilities. I just immediately fell in love with that whole family and said, that's the family I want to have. After Sue gave birth to her first daughter, Chelsea, in 1980, she and her husband adopted a young boy who was abandoned during the war in El Salvador. After that, she gave birth to Isaac, her second and last biological child. Then, she and her husband adopted their son Raj from India. Sort of our original overall game plan before we started even with any of them was, oh, you know, we'll have two and we'll adopt two. That was our life plan at the age of 20. But things don't always go according to plan. In 1985, the family hopped into their car and took a road trip to an adoption agency in Albuquerque. We adopted two sibling groups of children from New Mexico in the next few years after that trip. Three decades later, Sue's first adopted son, Jose from El Salvador, now lives in Switzerland doing work in computer technology. He just had his first baby. 
but not all of Sue's kids have had great lives. We did adopt three children with terminal illnesses and they have all passed away and that is, um, even when you know that's what you're getting into ahead of time, it's extremely difficult. Another child is in prison and there were many teen pregnancies. A lot of the time, Sue was discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed. But when I look over the whole time frame with each child that's joined our family, they all have made astounding progress. We know we had a daughter we were told would never walk and she became a dancer and we had a son that we were told would never learn to read or write his name and he graduated college. Supado doesn't see anything extreme in her altruism. To her, adopting 20 kids is perfectly normal. Someone who decides to climb Mount Everest and kind of sacrifice so much to do that. What in the world would you do that for? That's not something I would ever do. But we all have our passions, and if you follow your passion and you, you really live it, it, it may seem like it's extreme to others, and it may be normal to you. Massachusetts resident Julia Wise agrees. She and her husband Jeff live off just 6% of their combined income so they can give the rest away to charity. It all started when Jeff bought Julia a candy apple at the fair one day. And I realized that this sort of 3 or $4 that I had spent on, you know, something just fun for me was going to be money out of the hands of someone who really needed it a lot more than I did. I, I remember crying and, you know, Jeff getting pretty upset too and sort of wondering, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to have any kind of life if every minor decision, you know, is this big moral dilemma? That was the beginning of a plan to give a set part of their income away to charity. Julia says that way, she didn't have to have a moral dilemma every time she bought a candy apple or went to the grocery store. Everybody matters, you know, I matter and other people matter. And where we live in the world or whether we know each other doesn't affect how much people matter. Julia and Jeff make a decent amount of money. In 2013, their combined income was about $245,000. That year, they lived off a little over $15,000. Julia says a lot of people, including her parents, think her altruism is rather extreme. But to her, it's normal. It's life. Extremity is sort of in the eye of the beholder, and at this point, I don't see our lifestyle as extreme because it's working really well for us. Sue Badeau adopted 20 children. Julia Wise gives away most of her income to charity. Is this your typical run-of-the-mill altruism? Not in the slightest. Is it extreme altruism? Not if you ask them. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Shuka Kalantari. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Thank you for listening. Thank you for thinking. And thank you for supporting Philosophy Talk.